Um, I want to tell you a little story, uh, a little story that's about what we're going to talk about today. Christmas conversations. Is God really for me? Well, back uh, <clears throat> a few decades ago, I was uh, playing basketball at a place called Liberty University. And like most universities, we had a strength coach, except I didn't have a normal strength coach. I had one of those uh, uh, pump you up, you know, kind of everything was just on the 10 when you worked out. He was our strength and conditioning coach. And as a freshman walking in, he was like Hercules. I mean, he, he made the rock look small. He's just a big dude. And um, anyway, we've been keeping track because he's, he's still powerlifting. And at 60 years old, he just uh, acquired a PR. So track and, and lifting PR is a personal record, not at 20s, but in 59 turning 60 years of age. So here's my question. How much do you think in a good day, a 60 year old can bench press? I mean, <clears throat> a couple stats. If you're 20 to 29, you should be able to bench press 100% of your weight. So Kirby, okay, 100%, baby, probably double. And then if you're 30 to 39, um, it's, I think, 90%. Easy, no problem, right? And then if you're um, 40 to 49, you know, it keeps on going down. So by the time you get to be like 59 or 60, like you're just old, like some of us are. And I don't, I mean, what is it, what is it, what, what is a 60-year-old bench press? I mean, he is... 300 pounds. So he's a big dude, six foot two or so, and he's just thick. You can just imagine, he's just a thick dude. So what does a 60-year-old bench press? What's a personal record look like? 300 pounds? 400? I mean, I'd be impressed with anything. It makes my shoulder sore just thinking about it. So Coach Gillespie bench pressed when he was 59, 915 pounds. Then, let me show you a pic, he just bench pressed 1,004 pounds. See that bar how it's bowed? It's not supposed to do that. But when you have a thousand pounds on there, that's what you do. And of course, you don't have a spotter. You have three, which I'm not even sure they can even pick it up. So he's probably going to die if he doesn't get it up. He, um, he PM'd me this morning on Facebook and said, um, and this is the kind of guy Coach Gillespie is, I love him to death. Um, he said, hey, I've been doing more working out. God's done some crazy things because this is not supposed to happen when you're 60. It's supposed to happen when you're like late 20s or 30s. He said, I just broke 1,100 pounds. I know. He said, and you make sure to use, he said, I got some YouTube videos. Bill Gillespie is his name. I got some YouTube videos. You use that to share the gospel because that's what kind of guy Coach Bill Gillespie was. So I say that to say, I didn't have a normal coach. I mean, I was 180 pounds, six foot five, soaking wet. And he, he wanted me to bench a thousand pounds, but we were, you know, just, just getting there after it. And one day, I am as a freshman, it's preseason, and I've got to take off from Virginia to, to Tennessee to go back for some family stuff. And with Coach Gillespie, a guy like that, you don't miss workouts. So you double up your workouts. He worked me out, my upper body, so hard. I will never forget going back to the dorm to shower to get ready for the plane. Except I couldn't lift my arms any higher than that. I couldn't wash my upper body. I couldn't even make it get up to my shoulder. That's how fatigued, that's how hard he worked me out. I remember in the bench press and it seemed like he had 50, like 10 pound weights. And every time you go to, you couldn't go anymore, take one off. Go, do you get any more? I'm just thinking, this is great until you realize you can't lift your hands to even shower yourself. Who does that? And in those moments, you start to think, is this guy like 
against me? I mean, who, who would want to not be able to wash themselves because you worked me out so stinking hard? Is, am I blackballed by him? And am I gonna lose my scholarship? These stories, right, start spinning in our heads if we're not careful. And what I know or knew sort of then, but especially now that it's 30 years after the fact, Coach Gillespie loved God, but he wanted all of his athletes to do the same. Love them with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he was serious about making sure we reached our God-given potential. So here's what I want to remind us of today is that being for you, when we say, is God really for us? Being for, uh, for you does not always feel good. At that moment in the shower, I felt like a five-year-old. I can't even wash myself. I'm not even sure if I had one of them long brushes I could get anywhere, but it was just not a good feeling for a man not to be able to do that. So the feelings and circumstances can betray us. They don't feel good, but it is for our. And as we walk through some of these conversations today, what does it look like for God to be for you? I mean, is God supposed to, you know, only give us good things, not bad things? We should not deal with problems, difficulties, hurts, and pains if we've got God's favor, if he's for us. Does it mean my prayers will be answered in the way I think they should be answered? Does it mean my finances will always be met if not exceeded? Does it mean my family will always be safe? Does it mean my family will always get along if God is for me? Does it mean I'll never lose a loved one or have that fear? Does it mean if I hold up my bargain that God has to do the same in the way I think he ought to? I know in your mind you're saying no, but the way we really live that out is sometimes we really do. I know I sometimes can get in that part. Let me ask you a couple other questions. How do you overcome fear by avoiding it? How do you overcome or develop, I should say, faith by giving you everything you need so you can see it, control it, manipulate it? Does that really help us grow in the area of faith? What about uh, how do we grow in the area of patience and God's timing? Making sure as we pray, if God is for me, surely he's going to give me what I need in 24 hours or less, maybe a week. And if I'm really patient, maybe a month. Man, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? We're approaching the holiday season. Some of us deal with family. Uh-oh. Yep, we're going there. That's the Christmas conversation we're going to have. How do I deal with narcissistic people? Read a book or have to go through it? How do I deal with passive-aggressive people? Avoid them? How do I deal in this season with thoughts of loneliness and anxiety and depression? Isolate myself, sit at home and watch all the Hulu shows? My friends, being for you does not always feel good. But I know that I know it is for our good. When I say we're walking into the Christmas holidays and family are part of this, I want to make sure I'm clear about something. This is not something to, to, for, for you to listen up. 
Rick and I have had this personal conversation. Lori and I have had this conversation. My staff and team have had this conversation. This is, these are things we are wrestling with. So this is an us conversation, just to be clear. You mean you're going through some of these things? Yes, because it's people. Numbers, Excel spreadsheets, math, nope. They always stay the same, but people, they don't, do they? They're a little different. Sometimes they're normal, then they turn abnormal, right? I mean, things happen in life. Some of us are going to go see that person. And it brings back thoughts and concerns. Some of us are fighting feelings of loneliness and anxiety and depression. We all know this is the time those things seem to sort of uh, present themselves even more. Some of us uh, walk through this holiday season, you or someone you know, and the expectations are none because you've said them before and they've never been hit. So why risk getting hurt again? Just have no expectation. Some of us are excited because it challenges some of us perfectionists to be perfect. Ready? On time? Be here? We're done? Right? I mean, that's a thing. Some of us are that way. Some of us have friends or family that are that way. And some of us, not to be churchy, but to be real, some of the times the holidays brings back memories, not so good ones. Maybe too much... um, Drinking was involved. Maybe the voices got really loud. Maybe there were threats made. Um, Sadly, uh, maybe your mom or dad didn't show up. Um, They made excuses. There were rationales and reasons. But as a kid, we always wanted our mom and dad to be there and be around. So some of us don't have always good feelings. And so what I want to do is whisper in your ear, whisper in your ear the truth, not just my truth, but God's truth. And God's truth is this, despite all that's gone on, all the conversation we're leading up to, God is for you. Let me say that again. God is for you. I want to walk us through a couple of verses that will just validate that and have some conversation around them. And the first one is Romans 8, 31. Romans 8 is a really great passage if you've, I mean, it's obviously Christmas time, so usually we read from Luke 2, but Romans 8 is just a great practical passage to read. And it says this, Paul writes this, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? And I'm going to talk to that in a second, but here's what I want us to sort of look at. If God is, what does that say? For you. Who can be against you? Now, in the original language, it's us, but we're personalizing this. If God is for you, who can be against you? Now, Paul always says, well, what should we say about these wonderful things? What wonderful things is he talking about? Well, if you're a, a fully devoted follower of Christ, I'm not talking about you go to church or you've been baptized. I'm talking about the person who understands that Jesus was both born, right? We call it Christmas, but he was born into the world to live a perfect life. But his mission, his mission was to take on 
our sin and the penalty of our sin, those things that separate us from God's perfection. And we fast forward to Easter is where Jesus takes on my sin, your sin, and does something crazy. He, he dies for us. He overcomes a grave. God takes him back up so he can conquer sin, death. He gives us forgiveness because of that. He gives us a promise for eternity in heaven, and he gives us a supernatural purpose. And when Jesus left, if you remember, he said, I'm leaving you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, because that's what indwells us. If you grew up as a Catholic, you know there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And it's the same thing. This is what Paul is alluding to, Romans 8. All these are from Romans 8 when he talks about these wonderful things. It's sort of a summation, the cool part of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 15 says, the spirit you've received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. We really don't have anything to fear. Does that mean I'm not a believer because I have fear? No, no, that's not the case. But he's reminding us. The spirit says you don't have to fear. In fact, he even goes down this verse to say, hey, um, you've received, brought about adoption. You and I are sons and daughters of the living God. And because of that, this verse says, and you get to call out Abba, Father. That's a very personal, intimate term. Not like a creator. When I think of the word creator, I think of like a big, audacious, I can't really connect with them. But Paul is reminding us he is a daddy father. We can call out to him. In fact, the next verse in Romans 8 is, is 26, and I'm just cherry-picking some of these real quick. I'd really encourage you to go back and read Romans 8. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So here we are. In our weakness, the Spirit makes intercession for us. It, it talks. So if you're, if you're having some difficulty this season, and maybe you're in the middle of it, and something is said that brings this stuff up, or comments made, or passive-aggressive comment is zung by you, and you don't know how to respond, guys... It, in your place right then and there, you can, as Pastor Rick would say, our, our prayer can be verbal or it can be our thoughts talking to God and his thoughts talking to us. And we can just cry out and say, Dad, I need help. How do I respond to this? Or maybe I don't respond, so God help me not to do something I regret or say something I regret. Romans 8, that's what Paul's saying. These are the benefits. And then Romans 8, 28, as you guys know, is that all things work together for good. All things? Yeah, all things. Really? All things work together for good. But what about my past? What about what he said? What about what she did? Second part of that, when it says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Who is a very specific person? And if God is for you, how do we deal with these people? Here's what I want to whisper in your ear a little bit. A couple little facts. Whether they're aggressive Passive-aggressive, play the victim card, right? Well, nobody wants to come see me. I guess I'll just be by myself. This no, no. Remember, we already talked about we're coming here Thursday. We're leaving at 8 o'clock. Like, you bring some of the passive back to the truth. You don't just not deal with that. But here's what I know in difficult circumstances and situations. God will always have the last word. Always. And truth will always be exposed because that's who... God is the variable, the unknown is when is that going to happen? And that, my friends, is where we walk by faith and not by sight because I can't tell you when. But I know what God does. He shows up every single time and he exposes truth and he always has the last word. So let me say something sort of churchy but practical. 
in these seasons of dealing with people, and holidays seem to bring them out, you and I need to do what is right and let God have the fight. Just do what is right and let God have the fight. The right thing is what we are in control of. I cannot control other people. I wish I could. Rick and I talk about it all the time. We would love to drag you down here and get you right with the Lord and make everything okay. Or maybe your teenage kids, you'd say, Dan, I'd pay you to do that. I know, but hey, the story's not over. God's in control. Truth will always be exposed. But when we have to own what is right. Sometimes what is right means I have to go back and realize how angry and hurt and upset I am for decades of what he did, she did, sibling did, friend did. I've got to be in control of what is right. Um, a, a, a comment is made, and it's a zing, right? And you want to get back into that. Mentally, you can't show up ready to go to the meal with your boxing gloves and your mouthpiece and your boxing shorts on. You're not, you know, the real deal Holyfield that once you say something, I'm going to, you know, you're looking for it. You know, you're waiting for that little thing so I can just get a jab in, maybe a couple of punches in. But guys, that's not what's right. It's not how Jesus would respond. Do what is right and let God have the fight. And when I say God have the fight, I'm not mean like strike him with a lightning bolt, God, and split him in half. I mean like God will deal with the tension. God will deal with the pain. God knows he or she sent that zing. God knows they did that. But listen, we respond, we react in the spirit. Romans 8, read it. I promise you, we'll talk specifically about this. And we do what is right and let God have the fight. He's big enough. And let me just say this as a personal experience. He's better at retribution than you and I are. And I used to think I was pretty good at it until I watched God do things. I'm like, wow, that's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have come up with that one, God. That's really good. Because he reminds us that vengeance is his. I will repay. That's scripture. So do what is right. Let God have the fight. And let, me, let me think of, uh, let me give us an example really quick of how this plays out. Because when we change our thoughts, right, Romans 12, when we renew our mind, our actions change. So everybody remembers a 1980s film, deep theological film that most of us watch called Back to the Future. Remember that? Okay, Back to the Future 2, um, Michael J. Fox, right, uh, Mr. McFly there, has acquired the sports almanac. Remember that? He's got all the scores from the 50 to 2000, because we're talking the 80s, right? So he, whatever he went forward in time in the DeLorean with the flux capacitor, you follow me? You, who knew we were had this today in the Christmas uh, sermon, but it's here. And he's got the sports almanac with all the scores up to 2000. He's going back to 85 and you know, he's going to be a rich man. Why? Because he knows the outcome. Let's make this practical. Don't tell anybody, but I've got the sports almanac for 2022. And in there, it's going to sound crazy. On February the 13th, 2022, the Chicago Bears won the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, I got, I got it. And I'm going to slip this to you. And now you know the Chicago Bears are going to win the Super Bowl on February the 13th. 
And you start sharing that because you've got some information. You start sharing that. Classmates, coworkers, you've got a little something that they don't know about. And then, God forbid, you just like, hey, I'm going to have some predictions on social media. I'm going to make me a little TikTok and send it out there. And just what you did when I said that, what kind of response would you get if you said, hey, Chicago Bears going to win the Super Bowl? You would get laughed at, talked about. They'd talk about your mother. They would talk about your mental capacities and what you know. But how does that change the way you respond when you know the outcome? It doesn't. Why? Because I know. I know that I know. I got, Dan gave me the sports almanac for 2022, and that's your Christmas present. Not really. And you guys are smarter than me, but as I was wrestling with this thing, and this is probably coming to you a little more normal than it does me. I have to work a little harder at it. But the spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, there's an example, Jesus. I'm like, you're right. How many times did he have the opportunity to freak out? I mean, he had some freak out moments. I mean, he's got he's to deal with the mobs. He's got to deal with the religious leaders who are just looking for stuff. He's got to deal with his disciples who say dumb things about, hey, listen, who's the best disciple? And God's like, come on, we're not supposed to have this conversation. He's got to feed 5,000 people on a couple of different occasions. He's got the storm going on. There's plenty of opportunities for Jesus to have a freak out moment. And he never, ever did. Why? Because he knew the outcome. He knew that God will always have the last word. He knew that truth would always be exposed. And you do what is right, including Jesus, just did what is right in actions and his responses. And his father is big enough to handle the fight, the emotions, the hurt, the pain, the confusion, the intentionality. He's big enough. We are controlled by controlling us and emulating Jesus. Let me share with you another verse in Romans, Romans 5, verses 8. I love this passage. It says this, but God demonstrates his own love for who? For you, for us originally. But we're making it personal for you. In this when you cleaned yourself up, is that what it says? When you got things right, when you finally got committed, that's when Jesus Christ died for you. It's not what it says. While Dan was still a stinking sinner, while Dan makes mistakes and says things and thinks things and does things that I hate that I do sometimes, but he did that for all of us. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to act the part, dress the part, put on a really nice sweater and come into church. No, no, no. Right where you are. In fact, his specialty is when we're lost. His specialty is when we're far from perfect, man. <laughs> don't believe the illusion. I know we're not perfect. Lori and I are not perfect. But Jesus, when you read this verse, does not demand 
you do anything other than receive the gift. Aren't you glad we don't have to clean ourselves up? Get things right, try to work harder, be better. That's what the Spirit does when we ask Jesus to come into our life. Forgive us of our sins and make him Lord and Savior of our life. And, and we've talked about people. Let me talk about some thoughts and feelings and anxiety. Some things I do personally, just practically, is on our Capital City Church app, you have many things you can do, but one of the little buttons there is the Bible. You can click on the Bible. You can bring Romans 5, 8 up. And when those thoughts and feelings of anxiety and depression and, you know, they start to mount, you know, the whispers when they start, start to become louder. You can just read scripture. Jesus modeled the same thing when he was tempted and had to go through some trials and temptations. It just, but God demonstrated his own love for me while I was still messed up. Christ died for me. How can you not say you have value? That God is so for you, no matter what you have done in the past, no matter what you did this morning, no matter what you will do, Jesus paid. Paid it in full. The gift is ours. We just have to receive it. Now, many times over a few decades, I've been told different things like, well, Dan, you wouldn't understand, or Dan, you're a pastor, or, you know, you guys are here and we're up here, and the only reason we're up here is so we can see everybody better and connect with people. But they, um, they'll ask a the question, what do you know? They look at Lori and I and say, well, you guys don't understand. You know, we got marriage issues and kids issues and finance issues, and maybe you're by yourself. You're a single parent. It's hard. Maybe those whispers in your head are becoming louder and louder. A lot of times at Christmas, we like to talk about happy things, the best stories, the fun times. And it's great. I love that. But just to be real with you today, when people look at Lori and I, as we do some marriage coaching and helping and talking with people, they say those kind of phrases all the time. You don't understand. <laughs> Au contraire, mon frere. That's French, just to make sure you get that. <laughs> the worst Christmas I ever had, I was in Davenport, Iowa. If you've been to um, Granite City, yep, Roadhouse, there's a rave theater, cinema, right beside that. Big place. You can see it from the interstate. Some of the parking's in the front. Most of the parking's in the back. It's a big old lot. And one day... Being a VP of medical sales company, I had my car, I'm sitting in that parking lot. And my worst nightmares come true. I'm losing my marriage, I'm losing my family, I'm actually losing everything. And on top of that, my family, my support group is 500 miles south. That day I'll never forget, as we're talking today, circumstances and feelings started to overwhelm me. The whispers started to become screams in my head of all the things that you have wrestled with at some point in time in your life, at some season in your life. And a tear came down my face. And here's the crazy part. They wouldn't stop. 
for hours, I think basically almost the whole day, I didn't cry, I wept. Not because it was a bad day, because I was hopeless. And these thoughts in my head were just, God, either take me out or I've got to start trusting you because I got nowhere else to go. And that day I made a choice. I said, God, I don't, I don't have anything else. I don't know anybody else. I don't know what you're up to other than I just, I, I, I need you to be God in my life. I've got to take you at your word. So when people look at Lori and I and say, you don't understand. <laughs> we get to share our story, our dirty, broken, messed up story. And here's what I want just to remind you in this season is that it didn't take weeks or months. It took years. Why? Because God always has the last word. Truth is always exposed. And God is at work because he is for you. I don't just take scripture and tell you that experientially, which I think is a nightmare and a little embarrassing, becomes a gift because God's writing a story in all of our lives that we get to share. If I was up here and didn't have really anything bad in my life, how do you connect with somebody who's got it all together? <laughs> I don't. And I've realized that God is for me, even in the worst of times. As we end today, most famous popular verse, if you will, John three sixteen, is just talking about for you, for God so loved you. Just stop there. Original text is a world. That seems like for everybody else but you. That's what I have thought back a decade ago. The world is for everybody else, but I somehow am out of it. But that's not true. For God so loved that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes, and it's not a belief like I believe in George Washington was president at one point in time. It's a surrender. It's saying, Jesus is savior, but I'm making you my savior. First uh, Corinthians 10, 13, whoever calls in the name of the Lord, that's a cry, a cry of surrender, a cry of help. That's the belief he's talking about. And we place our belief in him we shall not perish. We're not going to live a selfish life. We're not going to live a life of damnation going to hell. We have purpose. We have a promise of eternal life. And we have purpose every day we're on this earth to represent and be like our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. What if I have told you you have nothing to worry about? You have nothing to worry about. God has you. God has your next. Truth will be exposed. <laughs> and God's always faithful. He will always show up and he'll have the last word because he's God, he's loving, he's truthful. So how will this change your thoughts, your actions, and more importantly, your reactions in this holiday season. God loves you. He is so incredibly for you. Let me pray for us.